I'm hoping that you noticed a difference. I saw a difference up here where you see someone, you know, who's, like, it fills their heart more, it feel, actually fills your heart more to take that extra step. I uh, just have a couple passages that I want to refer to. First is from Proverbs 18, verse 21. Uh, It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The message has a paraphrase that goes like this. It says, words kill, words give life, they're either poison or fruit, you choose. It's always kind of amazed me the power that words have. One more passage out of Proverbs 15, gentle words bring life and health, and a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. I'm sure that we've all, we can all recall those words that have crushed our spirit. And I know for myself, there are words that someone said to me like when I was 10 years old that will pop into my head at the worst time. Or words that someone said to me like 30 years ago. Or words that somebody said to me a month ago. And I kind of refer to those as words of death. Those are the words that are discouraging. They're distracting. They're depressing. They're words that undermine my confidence. They prevent me from moving forward. And they're words that carry destructive power. I'm not going to elaborate on that because as I'm saying this, probably half of you have something replaying in your head even just right now. Proverbs 16.4 says that kind words are like honey. They're sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. There are other comments that I've received many years ago that have also run through my head from time to time. I call those words of life. I remember, I remember my neighbor lady coming over and talking to my mom when I was nine years old in my backyard, in Didsbury, Alberta. And she said, Bruce is really tender-hearted. I still remember that. And those are words that are affirming, that are motivating, they're encouraging, they're empowering. They're words that move us forward and inspire confidence in us. They're words that lift our spirit, they're words that heal and bless And these are words of life. I want to share three stories with with you this morning that kind of illustrate this. The first story happened during my third year of teaching. And I had one of those classes that you hear about that had learning issues, behavior issues, attention issues, Issues on issues. And here I'm still a pretty rookie teacher, kind of figuring my way through all this stuff. And it had been a challenging year, and it kind of all culminated in this one day when every class was supposed to present a chapel. And so the other class is a grade four or five class, or grade four class I was teaching at the time. And we're supposed to do this chapel for all the kindergartens through grade sixes. And a bunch of parents would all come, you know, because your kids are in this chapel and they're presenting. We practiced for well over a month. Like, we had stuff nailed. Like, I thought, 
oh, this is going to be good. This is going to be impressive. And so we went in to do this chapel. Well, earlier that morning, something had happened at recess. And so, like, this faction was mad at this faction. And so they get up on the stage, and, like, these guys are literally glaring at these guys. You know, like, we're the picture of love, right, <laughs> in our class. And then kids are forgetting their lines, and they're forgetting where to come in, and they're, like, you know, clapping four different beats at the same time on the songs. And, and I'm going, oh, this is such a disaster. And so finally we got to the end, and I'm like, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. We're done. And I told my class, please quietly line up at the door. Well, I had this one little boy who, it was his mission in life to be the first in line. So he bolts from the stage straight to the door. He's like jumping over, like literally jumping over rows, like between parents. He's jumping between them to get to the door. As he gets to the door, he throws an elbow, nails one of the girls, and like gives her like a bloody like nip, nose and lip, right? And he pushes someone all the way, and he's at the front of the line. And I'm like, and all the parents are like, and, and I won't finish the story. But um, right after that, the kids were dismissed, and they all left. And I was just like this guy in this picture. I had my head on my desk, and I'm going, oh, God, I really think I made a mistake. I thought you wanted me to be a teacher, but I'm obviously not cut out for this. This is just, I got nothing left. This is, I'm just done. And then there was a little knock on the door. And not the, not the mayhem boy, the flying elbows guy, but another little boy stuck his head through the door. And he said, <laughs> he said, hey, Mr. Hildebrandt, Mr. H., I want to thank you for teaching me. This has been my best year ever. And then he left, right? And it was just that little phrase that actually flipped my day. It flipped my mindset. I'd been prepared to write a letter to my uh, a letter of resignation to my principal and say, I'm not coming back next year. I'll go back and pound nails with my dad, right? I'll go find something else to do. But that was the impetus that gave me a step to keep going. And this year, like, I just finished my 35th year in education. It's crazy. So the power of a few words. As I was uh, working on this, I didn't want it just to be my stories. So I reached out to some of the homeschool families that I'm working with this year and asked for if anyone would share a story. And one of the moms shared a story. And I'm going to read it because I want to do it service. And we've all had those days where you come to the end of the day and you are exhausted. Like there's nothing left in the tank. You just want to curl up with a book or whatever. And, and that's kind of the point she, she starts or this story comes from. It's called, All I Want is Bed. All I want is a shower and to go to bed. But the shower and tub and bathroom are a disaster. So I asked for help. 
This is a mom of five kids. My girls lock themselves inside and start to clean. I realize I'm hungry and make up a snack on a plate. I'll stash it in my room for later. The littlest was put down on my bed, so I go check on her. Someone has turned the fan on high above my sleeping toddler. Cold wind blasts her as she sucks her thumb. I adjust the scene and ask some questions. Nobody knows who did it. The girls come out. The shower's clean. If I weren't so tired, I would shower them with hugs and kisses. I send them off to bed with a quick hug and head for that shower of my own. Things are calming down. I can start to relax. Coming out, I enter my quiet room to dress. But the cheese is all gone. I stare at the little girl who was windblasted, but the tot is sleeping. Frustrated, I grill the kids. Who went in the room? My husband standing there says at last, you know, I think I did, but I didn't eat your snack. Have you ever felt like you just want to scream? Like ever? He looked thoughtfully, really thoughtful. Uh, no, actually. I saved my scream for another time and go make another snack. Mom, can I show you my bone? No, please go to bed. Mom, do you know where my book is? No, please go to bed. Mom, I'm thirsty. You can get a drink for yourself. Then please go to bed. Mom, in this book, it tells you when you should plant each thing in your garden. I'm sorry, son. My battery lights are flashing red now. I have nothing left. Please go to bed. I've cut up new cheese, and I come to my coveted bed. There's a big femur on my nightstand. A moose femur with a crooked crack in it. My husband's grinning. He put a message inside of it for you. With a sigh, I open the bone and find a rolled piece of paper inside where the marrow once was. In little boy scrawl, it says, love you. I pull a pen out of my nightstand and write over top of the words, then add more. I go into his dark room and hand him the very cool bone and tell him I put a message in it for him. He says he's going to keep it safe so the dog doesn't chew it. He hugs it and curls up under his blanket. I pat the other boy's head, the older one, who's still studying his farmer's almanac. In the hall, I pause. Then I head to the other bedroom to go tell the girls, thank you for cleaning the shower. It was such a blessing to me and that I love them. Then I go to bed to eat my cheese. The sheets feel cool and glorious. The dog shows up, staring at me with big, round, brown, sad eyes. You ate my cheese! <laughs> he blinks. It was two simple words, scrawled by one of her five kids. Two simple words, love you. Those two words filled her tank and gave her that extra breath, that extra wind that she needed to uh, make it through. I have one last story, and this isn't a story about words, 
This is a story about how a simple action had a big impact. This is a picture of my friend Tom. So when, when Nikki and I were teaching at Clone Christian School, uh, we had the privilege of, of going on short-term mission trips with students from the school. And uh, so the very first year of Nikki and my trip, we went to a little town in Zambia called Mamba. And there we met Tom. Tom was the interpreter, one of the interpreters for the church. And so when you went up to preach, you'd say a phrase... And he would interpret it into Tonga so that the people could understand the message and to make sure that the whole church understood. And Tom was this kind of amazing guy who, who preached or who, who prayed with a fire and a confidence and an authority, who had this passion for Jesus that he just wore, not just on his, his shirt sleeve, but he wore it all over him. And he just had this joy of the Lord that that exuded from him. So as we were leaving at the end of the first trip, he handed me a little piece of paper with his name on it and his address. And he said, you know, it's really hard to get books about God in our community. Like, I don't even know where the closest bookstore would be. Like, he said, we just, we we can't get any, it's hard to get Bibles here. He says, if you, if you think of it, could you, put, could you send me some books that I could read? And I said, sure. So I took his piece of paper and I tucked it in my Bible and, I, and it, we packed up and we left. And a few months later, I was flipping through my Bible and I found his address and his name. And I thought, hey, I have shelves of books from Bible school and lots of them have just been sitting there since Bible school. And I bet Tom would love some of these. So I went to the shelf, and I just I looked through the books, and I picked some books, and I put the books in a box, and I went to the post office, and I put his name on it, and I mailed it away, and I think I basically forgot about it. Well... It was a bit over a year later that we went back to Mamba with another group. And as we're all unpacking into, into our lodging and stuff, I see this figure coming down the road, and I'm going, that looks kind of like Tom. And then as he gets closer, he kind of almost breaks into a run, like he's just scooting along, and he comes and he gives me this huge hug. And he says, you saved my life. And I'm like, What? I saved your life? What? He said, no, you saved my life. And I apologize if I get emotional telling the story. I practiced a few times yesterday and I got a little better. <laughs> so we sat down together. I said, okay, you got you to unpack this for me. And so he said, in Zambia, family is everything. He said, at that time, the life expectancy in Zambia was 37 years old. So when you think, if you're anticipating, I'm doing good if I make it past 37, 
it really changes your priorities. You're not worried about setting aside pension plans or this or that. Like, you take time to talk to people. You take time to pace your life. You are always evaluating what is important, what is, isn't important. And his family was huge to him. So, uh, his brother uh, contracts malaria and passes away. His brother is like one year older than him. Like they grew up together. They did everything together. He passes away. Uh, less than three weeks later, his father has a heart attack and passes away. So in the midst of this, you know, his, he says, I was, I was consumed with grief. I, I you know, the two men who were my key men in my life were both gone. He said, but I clung to my wife and my kids. I clung to my wife and my kids. And he said, and my wife was expecting we had a baby on the way. And he said, that helped carry me through the loss of my dad and my, and my brother. He said, it wasn't too much later that uh, his wife... Uh, went into labor, they went to the hospital, and there were complications, and, and their newborn baby died. And him and his wife were grieving together. They finally send him home, only to, he gets home and the phone rings, come back to the hospital, there's a problem. He rushes back, his wife has begun hemorrhaging, and they don't have enough blood in the hospital. So he holds her hand and says, as her blood vessels collapse and she passes away. And all of the grief that he'd been burying and holding on to and hiding and pushing aside has now erupted. They go through the funeral or he, he goes home, he hugs his, his two kids that are left, he just clings to them. They have the funeral. In their culture, men don't raise the kids alone. So his sister takes his kids, or his sister-in-law takes the kids to another village. He said, I was all alone in my grief. My family was gone. My men were gone. He said, I decided... Nothing could be worse than this. I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to end it and pray that God accepts me into heaven. Then I can be with my wife and my kid and my father and, you know, <laughs> that peace. But Tom being Tom decided I can't leave things, like things have to be in order before I go. So he said, you know what, I'm going to go to the post office one more time. You know, and just make sure their bills are paid. And he said he went to the office, or the post office. There's a parcel for him. It was a box that I put in the, <laughs> I put in the mail eight months before. Eight months before. He opened the box. First book he pulled out was by Philip Yancey. It's called Disappointment with God. That was the book at the top of the box. He said he read that book cover to cover without going to bed. 
At the end, he had a new resolve. He said, I had a new fire, I had a new purpose. God spoke to me that he loved me. And, and he said, that's how you saved my life. I said, all I did was stick some books in a box and mail that. All I did was stick some books in a box. It can be simple acts, simple words that we don't really think mean much to us. But God can take them and make huge impacts with them. And sometimes we think that we have to be super spiritual or awesome or amazing. But God can take us where we're at and just use that. There's a great African proverb that uh, says, If you think you're too small to make a difference, you haven't spent the night with a mosquito. <laughs> right? If you think you're too small to make a difference, you haven't spent a night with a, with a mosquito. So my whole purpose in this morning is to encourage you to encourage you to consider the words, speak words of life. When you're tempted to speak those negative words, check yourself. I have to do that. I have to do that a lot. And sometimes when you think an act is insignificant, whether it's paying for the coffee of the person behind you at Timmy's, or throwing some books in a box, or praying for somebody, God takes those things and makes great things happen from them. I want to leave with one last slide, just as an encouragement. It says, to make a difference in someone's life, you don't have to be brilliant, rich, beautiful, or perfect. You just have to care. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you're so gracious. I thank you that you use broken vessels to accomplish your will. I thank you that you don't expect us to be perfect or to have it all together, but just that the simple words and things that we do can make a real true difference in somebody's life. Help us to be brave in saying thank you or love you or appreciate that. And Father, I just uh, pray that you'd burn these thoughts into our hearts, into my heart. In your name I pray, amen.